Thank you, Kevin, worship team. Thanks, uh, Dan, for leading us in prayer. Gary, thank you for uh, making announcements, a little bit more than announcements this morning. That's good. That's good. Thanks to Race and Trevor for, uh, or Travis for being on the, on the tech stuff this morning. Thanks to you for being here. The opening song, I Choose to Follow You. I don't know if you pay attention to the music. I, I think you do. But I try to pay attention to the music because I think I kind of know where I'm going. And, and it, it, we give the worship leaders a bit of an idea of what the theme's going to be, what the passages of Scripture are going to be, and then we kind of leave it up to them. But th- there's always decisions to make for me along the way. And, and as, as I hear a song kind of resonate or converge with something I was going to say or whatever, it's kind of like, okay, I'm making a decision. And there were some challenging things, and we'll get to them in Hebrews chapter 13. And there's some challenging things in Hebrews chapter 13, and there were some challenging things I was going to say in the introduction to the sermon this morning. And so the opening song Kevin picks talks about, I choose to follow you. So then I'm deciding as I go, okay, that's God's affirmation, that's God's nudge that, okay, um, my sorting out what he wants me to say, now I just got to charge. Then Dan says what he said. Now Dan doesn't know that I've been wrestling for the last couple months I got to shorten the sermons. I got to shorten the sermons because <laughs> I kind of get carried away. And, and I, I just think that's kind of neat that he didn't know I was thinking that. I, I think I'd mentioned it to one of the worship teams one Sunday, and it's like, by the end of the morning, that was gone. That plan <laughs> didn't work. So I'm not going to commit to anything. But along the way, kind of making choices, making decisions based on a variety of things, and also based on what I hear in the congregation. I, I love the fact that Esteban Elias Church sets aside time for congregational prayer. Now we don't always get we don't always get feedback. Today we had wonderful feedback and, and a variety and diversity of feedback. And though those those I think are the congregational prayer times we come away with saying, Wow, that was really powerful. There's other congregational times where it, it's it's like pulling teeth to get someone to participate. And that that's okay too. That's, that, that's okay too. But I, I, I go back to Gary's analogy of that one Canada goose, right? And then coming back together with the rest of the flock. And, and it's, it's not always going to be the way we expect. It's not always going to be maybe what we want. But the, the value of being together, the value of hearing one another, the good news and the bad news and, and all points in between, right, is it's just so valuable um, to have it in that context. So... It's 11.18, just for the record. It's 11.18. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) The final chapter, Hebrews chapter 13, page 11.16. If you're working out of the Bible in your pew, in your pew rack, page 11.16, Hebrews chapter 13, the final chapter. Not the final time we're talking about Hebrews, but we are going to look at the final chapter as we kind of worked our way through to the end. A couple things you need to know about the group of people that are addressed in the letter to the Hebrews. A couple things about them that I think are important just to kind of know where it's gone and what's been happening. So you could call it, this is the what's trending part. 
That's a common phrase you hear around today. What's trending in the letter to the Hebrews? Well, a couple of things about the letter to the Hebrews that are helpful as we come to the final chapter. Number one is they had a good start, a great start, but now they're in sort of a slow fade. Things start out really well. They were strong in their faith. They were trusting God. They, were, they knew that their hope was in Him. And even though they were, there was all kinds of hardship and suffering going on, they stood up. They stood strong in the midst of that. We also find out that they were a little bit distracted and they were a little bit inattentive to what was being said. And they, one of the first things they're told at the beginning is, we must pay more careful attention to what we have heard. So that they, they seem to be in a situation where they weren't listening very well. They're also told that they have, in this slow fade, become lazy and sluggish and immature. And they're slacking off in their diligence regarding their faith in Christ. We also find out along the way that there's a fair bit of opposition and hardship and persecution. Uh, it was getting tougher to be a follower of Jesus for them. It was tough at the beginning, and it seems to be even getting tougher. And whether, whether that hardship, and we've talked about this, that the hardship is the opposition, the hardship is the persecution, but the hardship is just the hardships of life. The challenges of life in a fallen world, that's considered hardship and suffering in the whole context of the scriptures. And there, there was that. It was just getting tougher to be a follower of Jesus. And then along the way, people were leaving. People were deserting the flock. People, the flock was depleting. Their numbers were shrinking. People, it seems, were turning back to their old Jewish patterns and the sacrifices in worship. Because interestingly enough, as Gary read from that psalm, which talked about how good and pleasant it is, um, in, a day in your courts is better than, than a thousand elsewhere. Well, in chapter 13, we're going to hear talk about going outside the gate, which in the Jewish context, that meant to the unholy. Okay? So, so seems like some of them didn't like that, so they're going back to their Jewish context and their Jewish worship and their Jewish sacrifices centered around the, the, the laws that God had given them. So that's what's trending as we come to Hebrews chapter 13. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 13 and see what that has to say to us this morning. And we'll try and bring along the way our context. We'll try and bring what's trending in our lives along the way as we go through this. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 1. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Wow. I think we already had some reference to that about how, how our love for one another is a reflection of God's love for us. Almost every letter... I challenge you to find one where it doesn't say, where the apostle isn't saying to the church, love one another. If there isn't some kind of reminder in every letter that's written to every church, there is something reminding us that we are better together. Love one another. Christianity spread because of the love that the Christians showed for one another. I haven't got time to go through the charts and show you the whole thing, but there's an interesting growth cycle in the early church from the first century to the fourth century. As by the end of the first century, as estimates, there are about 10, 10 to 20,000 Christians around the Mediterranean. By the fourth century, there's about 3 million. And the, the growth of the current churches and the growth of the early church, the apostles have died off. The growth of the early church is credited to their love for one another, and the next thing that Hebrews talks about, they're good works. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. 
Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Love for one another and caring and compassion for those outside. Hospitality is entertaining strangers. Not having church friends, you know, back for lunch or over for supper. Hospitality, technically, is entertaining strangers, entertaining people you don't know. The early church was known for their hospitality. Not only people coming through, preaching the gospel and preaching the good news, but in a very mobile society, they would just open their homes to to fellow believers. They had certain ways of signifying they were believers, and they would open their home to believers. The early church cared for the abandoned and the orphaned, the, the babies that had been left out on the rocks to die because the families didn't want those babies. The early church was known for their care for the sick and those who were contagious and those who could um, bring disease in, into your household, into your group. The early church was known for their care for the sick. The early church was known for the way they shared their resources with those who were in need. And the early church grew from the end of the first century, about 10 to 20,000 people, to by the end of the fourth century. And the mathematicians used the word exponential around that kind of growth in a very small globe. What's that attributed to? Doing good. You know, we kind of get... We get in this context of faith and good works, and we're not saved because of the good works we do, and a lot of times we just kind of leave it there. Paul says in Galatians, where he talks strongly about faith and works, Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, do good to all, especially those in the household of faith. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, he's going to talk about it again. The apostle is going to talk about doing good again. Go Jump ahead to verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that confess his name, not just in song, but in testimony, as we're brought up against opposition and, and uh, persecution, testifying to, to who Jesus is, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Doing good happens twice in this one chapter. So let's not forget... That doing good is not a negative term. In fact, when Peter describes who Jesus was to Cornelius, he talks about all the good that Jesus did. Peter's letter, 1 Peter, is all about doing good. And if we suffer for doing good, even better. The pastoral epistles are filled with the phrase about doing good. And I think sometimes we're, we're so locked into this faith and works thing, we forget to do good. And we forget the importance of doing good. These believers forgot about hospitality and taking care of the prisoners. They did it very well when they were first when they first came to Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, the apostle commends them for how they took care of prisoners and how they loved and cared for those who were in prison. Something happened and they forgot. It slipped by. Something distracted them. In tough economic times, is there something we as a church should be doing? What do good works look like for Estevan Alliance Church in tough economic times? I don't know. Maybe it's the for sale sign on your neighbor's house. Um, maybe it's the repo of the vehicle in the neighbor's house. What does good works look like for Estevan Alliance Church in tough times? What is our response? Let's not forget. Right? 
We're going to show the world God's love. That was one of the lines in one of the songs today. How do we do that? By coming to church? No. How do we show the world God's love? By loving them. By caring for them. To show how God has cared and loved us. Loving one another and doing good. Next comes the big three. Money, sex, and power. Not in that order. First it's sex, then it's money, then it's power. But the big three. Verse four. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So there's, there's the sex part. Accountability and judgment by God. Keep your lives pure. Verse five. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid what man can do to me. And if that sounds familiar, that's one of the phrases that comes up in Joshua chapter 1. We spent a fair bit of time in Joshua chapter 1. And if one of these rocks is your rock, if one of these rocks is your rock, I'm thinking of the song we sang, right? <laughs> there is no rock. If one of these rocks is your rock, remember the promise to Joshua. I will never leave you nor forsake you. When it comes to our sexual sin and our sexual impropriety and our sexual misconduct, God will judge us. There is accountability. And when it comes to money, be content with what you have. But then when it comes to power, that's sort of the, the negative, right? The danger of money, the danger of sexual immorality, and the problems it caused. Now, when it comes to power, the apostle takes a little different track. Verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. For Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The apostle talks about good works twice in chapter 13. He talks about the leaders three times. Not your usual word for leaders he uses here. It's more of a generic word for leaders. It's sort of an inclusive word. He's not talking about political leaders. Peter talks about political leaders and, and the emperor and, and so on in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. But here it's church leaders. It's, it's the pastor, it's the elders, it's the apostles, it's the evangelists. It's that kind of idea of your church leader. Probably the person who owns the house where your church meets as well. It probably includes who would be called the patron of that particular local congregation. So elders, pastors, patrons, deacons, that kind of thing is, is the word. But it's, it's, it's a generic word. It's not the word for elder. It's not the word for presbyter. It's not the word for deacon. It's just a generic word for the leaders. And he takes a different track. He doesn't take the negative track that he did with sex and he did with money, but it's a positive track. First of all, the first occurrence, remember your leaders. Remember and imitate them. Verse 17. Jump over to verse 17. He talks about leaders again. Obey your leaders and submit to your, their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. And then finally, verse 24. Greet all your leaders and all God's people. So leaders are significant. He hasn't talked about leaders in the whole letter. He hasn't talked about uh, elders or deacons. He hasn't talked about pastors. He's just talked about we. Let us. We. 
but he, here he, he had identifies the importance of leadership. First thing is to remember them. Remember them and imitate their faith. Remember those who led you to Christ. Have you thought lately about the person who was instrumental in you coming to faith in Jesus? A good time to think about that. Remember those who led you to Christ. Remember those who were instrumental in speaking the word of God to you, who opened your eyes, perhaps, to see the reality of Jesus. Remember and imitate their faith. How are we doing relative to that? How are we doing relative to the faith of the, the camp counselor or the teacher, the friend? How are we doing relative to their faith with our faith? Remember those who were instrumental in leading you to Jesus, whom God used to get your attention. And what's he say? Follow their pattern. And I don't think that just, that happens at all our growth points along the way too. It might be initially at the beginning, but I think there's growth points where other people come into our lives and they kind of help us move forward and that, that's worth remembering too. And they're worth remembering too. See, that's, I think, where this idea of Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever comes in because the apostle is encouraging. Just as Jesus was at work in them at that time, so he's at work now in you, and that's going to continue the same way. One reaching one, right? That's kind of how it works. Occasionally, there is some um, revelation that happens, but usually it's from one person talking to another person about Jesus. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Remember and imitate those who were instrumental in leading you to Jesus or getting your attention directed towards God. Then verse 17. Obey them and submit to their authority. Trust and respect them. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. One translation puts it this way. They are tireless in their concern for you. They are tireless in their concern for you. I would dare say there's not a Sunday school teacher in this congregation who we couldn't say they are tireless in their concern for you. I would dare say there isn't a club worker that wouldn't, we couldn't say to the kids, you know, they are tireless in their concern for you. If nothing else, when they're prepping. If nothing else, when they're thinking about what's going to happen the next time they're with you. Right? It just You can't help but think about the people that God has given you responsibility for. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Seems pretty simple. <laughs> but it isn't, right? Because one of the trends we fight in our society, one of the trends we are constantly up against is what I would call chronic individualism. Chronic individualism. Uh, there's, a, there's a radio station in Regina, most of you know it, Light 92 FM. Well, they have a little tagline that they do, um, My Light 92 FM. 
I've seen churches pick up that little tagline on the front. It would be like, My Estevan Alliance Church. I don't know. Gary, how do you think the flock feels about that? <laughs> he, was, he was singing that song when he's flying, right? He's singing that song, and he's probably listening to My Light 92 on his uh, earphones, right? But when we're together, it just, uh, just doesn't work that way. He's not, he's, the apostle isn't talking about blind submission and naive obedience. Servant leaders don't expect that. Servant leaders don't expect, expect blind submission and naive obedience. Last uh, week going home, I stopped at Burger King in Weyburn. They don't say it. They don't say it anymore, but the Burger King slogan used to be, have it your way. How easy does that translate into what we think church should be? How easy does that translate into what we think the church should do? You know, the problem with chronic individualism is we can't see it unless somebody points it out to us. We have our blind spots. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. For if their work is a burden, that's no advantage to them. No, 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 no. He doesn't say them. He says that's no advantage to you. Who benefits? Who benefits? from recognizing what God says about the responsibility of leaders and the responsibility of following leaders. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Whoa. They have accountability to God, and you're the one who benefits. And you say, well, who's going to hold them accountable? Well, that's why we have an elders board. That's why we have a district, and that's why constitutional authority is sort of the way the alliance runs. It may not happen in the timely manner that you want it to happen, but there is accountability. It's built into the system. And there is a code of excellence. And there are disciplinary procedures. But I want you to notice the end result. Who benefits? Who benefits? Not your leader congregation benefits. What kind of leader was this author of the epistle to the Hebrews? What kind of, what kind of leader was he? Well, verse 18. Notice verse 18. He says, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. So he comes to them. After he's talked about previously in the letter about coming to the throne of grace, drawing near to God, and finding grace to help in time of need, he says to them, pray for us. He's saying to them, hey, I need your help. He says, we have acted honorably in handling this delicate... He's had some very difficult, tough things to say to them. Uh, He's talked about what happens if you turn your back on Jesus, what happens if you fall away from the faith, what happens if you go back to your old way of life, 
And what are the implications for your eternal destiny? He's had some very difficult things to say to them. And he says, he says, I believe we've acted honorably in handling this delicate situation. Grace and truth. Verse 22, he's going to call it a word of exhortation. This word of exhortation, which is interesting. It's, we t I think we talked about this before. The word exhortation, it, it's a good, bad. It's a hard, soft word. It's, it's, the, it's the word of exhort, challenge. It's the word of comfort and console. And he's had this very delicate task. And he asked them to pray. Pray for us. We need your help. He kind of goes back to this kind of leader he is, right? We've talked about that, right? right for, I was rereading yesterday the letter to the Hebrews, and he talks about who Jesus is in chapter 1, and as soon as he starts chapter 2, and as soon as he sort of gets into the exhortation part, what's he say? We must be more careful lest we drift away and neglect so great a salvation. Right from the get-go, it's we. It's not you. It's not them. It's we. It's us. Let us. The leader is over them, but he is with them. And where is he leading them? Interesting. He's leading them to, as I already said, outside the camp. Go back to verse 12. Or sorry, verse 11. Talking about the high priest. And so in the background, the, the, the Christians are sort of going back to their old Jewish ways with the sacrifices and so on. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. The rule on the Day of Atonement for the ultimate sacrifice of the year was that, yeah, the blood goes into the most holy place, into the Holy of Holies, where it's sprinkled to cover for sins. The animal's carcass needs to go outside the camp. Some sacrifices are eaten, some sacrifices are consumed. On the Day of Atonement, the animal has to go outside the camp. That's where it's burned, outside the camp. Because in the wilderness, where the children of Israel camped, that was the holy ground, and everything outside the wilderness camp was on holy ground. Leviticus, I think it's chapter 16, if you want to find out a little more about that. So the high priest, the blood is used in the Holy of Holies. The animal is taken, the carcass is taken outside the camp. So Jesus, verse 12, also suffered outside the city gate. We call it Golgotha. We call it the Mount of Olives. Outside the city, that's where Jesus was crucified. So Jesus suffered outside the city in technically, in Jewish terms, unholy ground. To make his people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for a city that is to come. In other words, following Jesus. And so in some ways, in, the, in their new situation, it's not, the presence of God is not restricted to a place, and a setting, the place of God is, the nearness to God is where Jesus is. And that's in some very difficult territory. What technically would be in the Old Testament terms profane territory, unholy territory. And so the author says, let us, there's the let us again, let us then, I was going to stop at Sobeys when I came into town this morning. They were open. And I was going to get a head of lettuce. I was just going to plunk it here. Let us, right? Let us. I lost track how many times it comes up in the letter to the Hebrews. But next time you're having salad, okay? Next time you're having salad, think about the flock. Think about the people God calls us together with. 
let us. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for a city that is to come. Draw near. It's, it's not going to get any easier, folks. If, if the hardship that they were experiencing was depleting their ranks and people were deserting the church and things were getting tough. Can, Trevor, can, or Travis, can you throw up slide number one? I don't know if you're aware of this, but for the last 20 to 25 years, I'm taking that as my cue that I need to wrap this up. Um, for the last 20 to 25 years, there's been a shift in global Christianity. And global Christianity is heading south. Okay, so the Africa, South America, Mexico, Southeast Asia, and the Philippines, that's why it was so good to hear what Suzanne had to say, Susan had to say about people coming to Christ. It's tough to build churches and plant churches and grow churches in North America. One of the reasons is we need to realize that, that we're falling behind the rest of the world. How often do you hear about conversions in North America? How often do you hear about conversions in North American churches, right? There's been a shift so that by the year 2025, there will be more Christians for the first time in Africa than in Latin America. Now, I'm just talking Christians in total, right? I'm not breaking it down at evangelicals, Baptists, and all that stuff. But by the year 2025, there will be approximately 625 million Christians in Africa, which will pass Latin America, which is just at the high 500s. Okay? Overall, by the year 2060, as far as Christians in the world are concerned, Almost half of them, 4.2 out of 10 Christians, will be in sub-Saharan Africa by the year 2060. So there's a shift. I think that's important to us because I think we need to get off our North American Western civilization high horse to think that we know how to do church. I think that should humble us. Church growth in Iran is bigger than anywhere in the world. 5% growth in church, church growth in Iran and Christians multiplying. I think it needs to humble us, and I think it needs to remind us that we're not the only show in town. We're not the only show on the globe. And I, I think it should be a bit of an awakening to us in terms of conversions. How do most churches in North America grow? Circulation of saints. And I use Ecclesiastes there because there's a time to move. And there's a time not to move. There's a time to stay. And I think there's a time to go when it comes to church life. So don't get me wrong on that. But I think most of us as churches in North America, it's because people shift. People move around. We're talking conversion growth here. 4.2 out of 10 in 2060 will be from sub-Saharan Africa. I think that's got to change how we watch the news. I think that's got to change how we understand the world. And so for the Christians that the Apostle was writing in this letter to the Hebrews, he wants them looking ahead to a city that is to come. He wants them living in hope. United with Christ in his shame, but also united with Christ in his exaltation. So as we come to the end of the book of Hebrews, the promise, the goal, the purpose of God, the plan of God is for Jesus, is for Jesus to have all things in subjection to him, to have all things under his feet. The thing that God is working towards, the thing that God has brought Jesus into the world for, and the thing that Jesus is, 
is waiting for is for the Father to put everything in subjection to the Son. That starts in chapter 1. He has exalted him. Our Philippians verse would be the more familiar one. Given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. He's at God's right hand interceding for us, but not all things are in subjection to him. So if the goal of God's plan for Jesus is the subjection of all things to Jesus, and if we are to live by faith, then we must live in subjection to him and his word. If we are to live by faith, the way of life that points people to the one who gives life and breath, hope and healing, and grace to help in time of need, then we must live in subjection to his word. We embody the life of Jesus for the hope of the world. How am I doing in subjecting all things in my life to Jesus? Well, he talked about hospitality. He talked about loving one another. He talked about sexual immorality. He talked about greed and money. How am I doing in subjecting all things to Jesus? How are we doing in subjecting all things to Jesus? How are we doing in embodying the faithfulness of God? Who are we imitating? Are we imitating the world? Can you show the second map there, Travis, please? You know this map. You saw it this week. One of the other global trends, they call it, sometimes it's called tribalism. More often it's called polarization. I paraphrase an old Sunday school song, you in your small corner and I in mine. Polarization. You think we don't live in a polarized country? So who are we imitating when it comes to issues? Who are we imitating when it comes to how we respond? Do we sound like the world? Do we sound like Parliament yelling at one another across the, across the floor? See, in church we're subject to the same trends and we're subject to the same animosities. Uh... Rural, urban, right? You can look at that map and you can do rural, urban. Let me do a different one. On my left is the economy. On my right is the environment. On my left is jobs. On my right is climate change. As I was thinking about that this week, I was reminded of a verse uh, in the wisdom literature. And I'm, sh- I'm sure if you pray for our government and our leaders, you pray for wisdom. Um, one of the wisdom books in the Old Testament is the book of Ecclesiastes. And I was reminded of a, of a phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's good to avoid all extremes. You could just remember part of it. So I thought, I'm going to go to the verse and, and see what it says. Here's the whole verse of Ecclesiastes 7.18. It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. You think there's some wisdom there? You think there's some wisdom there? As you look at that map? Economy and jobs. Environment, climate change. Short term, long term. Your survival. 
your grandchildren's survival. Do I have to choose? Can it be both? Can't I, in godly wisdom, figure out how to do both? It's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God, there's, there's the defining line, right? Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Thanks, Travis. I don't know where I'm getting Trevor from. Anyway, sorry about that. Worship team, can you guys make your way back? This past week, sorry ladies, another sports illustration. We talked baseball, we talked football, I'm talking basketball. Um, but even my mother knew about the Raptors and, and winning the championship. My mother has no clue that her three sons all cheer for Cardinal teams, the St. Louis Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals. She has no clue about that, but she knows that the Raptors won the world championship, so I'm, maybe I'm on safe ground. So if God's goal, if God's goal is to bring everything in subjection to Jesus, that's the whole point of Hebrews. That's Jesus is exalted to God's right hand, and someday God is going to make everything subject to him. So then how, sh- how should I live? If you thought my lettuce thing was hokey, you might think this is even more hokey. The Raptors got their rings. What, 640 diamonds in this crazy thing? Like, just nuts. The Raptors got their rings. But the phrase for the Raptors was what? What was, what was the slogan for the Raptors, Mike? We the North. We the North. Keyword we, spelled W-E, not W-I-I. We the North. What if we said, as followers of Jesus, we wear our imaginary ring and it's we the Lord's? That's what we show. That's what we demonstrate. That's how we live. That's how we embody the power and presence of Jesus as we live saying, we, we the Lord's. We the Lord's. Father, thank you for your word. If I've said anything out of line or out of my own uh, toxic individualism, uh, may your spirit erase it from people's minds. But Lord, when it's your word that's speaking to us, may it be like you promise it to be surgically sharp, powerfully accurate, getting to the very soul of who we are, knowing that you love us more than we can ever imagine, know that you want us to shine more than we can ever hope, and know that you want us to find life in Jesus above everything. In your name.